is not necessarily a function of small versus large organizations, but it's the experiences that you have. Welcome to the Contract Lens Podcast, brought to you by Malbec. In this podcast, we have conversations with contract management thought leaders and practitioners about everything contracts and its ecosystem. Today's episode is part of our Envision Live series, during which we explore insights uncovered at our annual user conference. This keynote session brought together five legal tech powerhouses, Steph Corey, co-founder of Uplove Lops, Lucy Basley, founder and principal at Inna Law Group, Colin McCarthy, CEO and founder of Legal Operators, Jason Smith, Chair, Corporate Counsel Section of the State Bar of Texas, and Teju Deshpande, Principal of Deloitte's Legal Business Services Practice. The panel debates some of the hottest topics in legal tech and uncovers what the future of CLM promises. So now it's time to relax, grab a glass of wine, and let's talk contracts. Okay, my name is Gary Zuder, as Becky said, I lead the sales team here at Malbec, and I am privileged and very excited to host the first session of the second day of the Envision Conference called the Contract Management Power Panel. And you'll know why I call it a power panel in a minute. Uh, the objective of this session is to offer what I call a subtle combination of entertainment and contract management thought leadership that you can actually use. But before I uh, offer introductions, I thought I would kick things off with a little bit of a sports analogy. So this is interesting. So for those of you who do watch sports, you've probably heard the expression, just let them play, right? The idea behind that is that the referee shouldn't be noticed, that it should be all about the stars in the field. Uh, we have a panel today with uh, varied experiences from engineering, legal ops practitioners, practicing attorneys, and in some instances, a combination of them. So I can't possibly give full bios, but I will walk you through each person and offer highlights uh, so everyone can appreciate the richness of this power panel. Uh, starting from the left, it feels like a 49ers introduction. Uh, we have Teju Despande, currently a principal at Deloitte within Legal Business Services. Uh, Teju has spent over 25 years in the technology and legal services industry, helping improve effectiveness and efficiency through process technology and data optimization. Uh, Teju, if you can just wave and say hello. Hi, everyone. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you, Teju. Uh, next, uh, we have Colin McCarthy, uh, CEO and founder of Legal Operators. Colin is a visionary in this space and what we call a community leader. His mission is to change the face of legal ops. Colin. Hey, everybody. Uh, great to be here. Delighted to be here with Malbec this morning. Thank you, sir. And moving to the right, uh, past me, we have uh, Stephanie Corey, co-founder and general partner of Uplevel Ops a consulting firm specializing in providing services for in-house legal departments and law firms. And before that, uh, worked in senior legal ops positions, little known company called HP, of course we all know, and Flex, another multi-billion dollar organization. And in addition, Stephanie is a co-founder of COC, a corporate legal operations consortium. Stephanie? Hi, hi there. I love how you have me arguing. What does that say about <laughs> me? <laughs> we, we've only begun today, Stephanie. We've only begun. Thanks for joining, Stephanie. And uh, next we have uh, Lucy Bosley, an attorney, author of The Simple Guide to Legal Innovation, and just recently, CLM Simplified. Uh, but Lucy is a former assistant attorney general of legal ops and contracting uh, at Microsoft, where she worked for many years, 
She's also the founder and principal at Innova Group, helping law firms modernize the practice of law. Love that phrase. And consulting with uh, corporate legal departments as well in legal operations, specializing in all things contracting. And yes, uh, I'm going to use a very tired phrase, last but not least, uh, Jason Smith. Uh, Jason is a Texas attorney who has spent his career assisting legal professionals with the use and development of legal technology in the practice of law. He's a legal tech guru with years of hands-on practical experience and the chair of the State Bar of Texas Corporate Council section. Jason? Hey, everybody. Well, well thank you. Uh, all for being here today. We sincerely uh, appreciate it. Uh, now we move on to the ground rules. It's okay to speak out of turn. It's okay to interrupt, call me out. It's okay for me to call you out. Uh, after the play, make sure you toss the ball back to me. Please don't throw it. And yes, I have a, a flag if I need it. I will throw it, but I don't think I'll need to because you all are lovely people. I know you all very well. So again, thank you for this opportunity here. So, that's enough of me, but I had to set the context and offer the intros, of course. But, you know, in just one word, you know, what comes to mind when you think legal operations in 2022? So this is a, a bit of a futuristic question, typically one you'd end with, right? But I wanted to kind of see where everybody's head was. Jason, I see you on my screen. I don't know why, but you just popped up right there in front of me. So uh, what can you comment about process, but in the year 2022, what, what, what does that mean to you? See, I was sitting here writing down value. So of course you threw me the other one. <laughs> uh, That's my job. So, so I, I will say that, that process is part of the value. Let me segue it that way. Um, and, and the interesting thing about this is that legal is having to sort of undergo this transformation of its process to really become a business operation. And, and we've seen it over the last few years where legal has has been forced to or tried to operate like other businesses, um, whether that was easy or difficult for the players to be um, in that space. I think, I think process is first and foremost the most important thing to focus on um, above all else um, related to just the general operations of a law department, because if you don't get that part right, nothing else falls in place. Colin, what say you about that? Thank you, Jason. Well, I, I think Jason nailed this. What I say about process is like, you know, it, it's, it, it's, your, it's, your, it's your number one pillar, like with legal, oper legal operators. When I say a process, like going, when you're building out a function of legal operations, that should be your number one thing to look at, right? How does legal receive information? How does it take information from outside counsel? How, do, how does it get the data points to make the decisions moving forward? And that, how, how do you structure change management? And it's all, it's all about collecting information, building process, asking the right questions, um, set, setting up um, whether it's your technology, there's a different process for everything, but it's, it's all intertwined. Um, just Gary, can I throw in a flag? I'm not. I'm, or is that only? Are only you allowed to do that? Yeah, I would that, love it if, if you were to throw a flag. I would love that. I got. I'm gonna do this because I didn't get my, my time to say hello, so I feel like I'm at a deficit of, of words, and that, oh. that can't be because I got. Well, I got we, so we, many of was, them always bubbling. Purpose, I'm gonna say. I gotta say, people uh, like the people process tools. Every day, day in day out, 
it is the change management of the human behavior of our fellow legal professionals. I'll just call us out. It is just super, super, super hard to get uh, the change. Even the most well-intended ones, the, the ones who want change, they want to be efficient, they want to operationalize, they want technology, they, they really want to do things. The change is super hard the minute you touch the way they do their core day job, right? In legal ops, we deal with some of the, you know, operational underlining of the departments. It's a little easier to change. Billing, invoicing, a little bit easier, but how they talk to their law firms, what they say, hard, right? Contracting, I might give you a nice new repository, fine, but the words I put on the four corners of that document, how I touch those words, what I do with them, really hard to change. So really, I think there's a, there is an evolution that has to happen in the legal profession of how we embrace modernization and change, or else legal ops is going to continue to have the same uphill battle. <laughs> can I jump in and ask Lucy, why is it so hard to change? So we're conditioned differently, first of all, from law school. So if we just focus on the legal professionals, the attorneys inside the law departments, that still are the decision makers, right? As powerful and as strategic as legal operations leaders are becoming and evolving, the decision makers are going to be the GC level or their deputies, right? So th those leaders have been conditioned and trained to avoid all risk. And operationalizing presents risk. So I'm not even talking about substantive legal, legal risk. I'm talking about how they do their job, letting go of work, handing off work, using technology for portions of the work, using alternative resourcing for portions of the work, right? Anything that has to do with letting go of that control and comfort um, that they've mitigated the risk their own way, um, it's a challenge. And it's just, it's a condition, it's how, it's how we're trained, it's how we're conditioned. So it is a it, it's a direct conflict, you know, with, with how we're taught um, starting from law school. Anybody who's gone through the law firm, boom, that's an indoctrination, anti-efficiency. <laughs> so you really are undoing core, core conditioning that's been happening for decades. And I think what so, Lucy's okay. really uh, digging uh, no, into. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, 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 I'm throwing the flag. Forget it. No, I have to. I have to go to Stephanie because she <laughs> talked about Jason. I'll get to you, but she talked about people. What's so fascinating about this, no one mentioned technology, right? Fascinating kind of thing. Somebody mentioned process moving forward. Uh, Stephanie, talk about people, please. We're, we're going to that triangle, right? People process technology with data-driven. We're going to get to data. Don't worry. I have a lot of things that you all have said around data. But Stephanie, can you talk about the, the people for a moment to do the right work? Can you just expand about, upon that? Yeah, I just want to say that Lucy and I are having a mind meld this morning, I guess, because I, I just sent that and, you know, Lucy interjected, but it really is about when, when you look at the people process technology piece of it, um, I think, you know, when, when I first started in, in law, you know, 20 something years ago, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, um, we really saw legal departments really outsourcing at the highest level, right? And that's an expensive proposition for legal departments because you have internal attorneys, which are expensive, and you're sending work to law firms, which is very, very expensive. And so, um, and there were really only a couple of positions in legal departments. You had your lawyers and a, a variety of seniority within that. And then you had, you know, paralegals, a handful, and admins, right? Um, and so now we see that, by the way, can you guys hear me? Okay. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback. Yeah. I just want to make sure I sound okay. Okay. Now we see it happening at all different levels where 
we're really analyzing who is doing this work and should they be? Is this legal work? Should the legal department even be looking at this, which is what Lucy was alluding to or talking about directly, and really looking at doing roles and responsibilities. I think that's such a critical piece of this because I can't tell you, uh, you know, Lucy talked about handing work off. It is so hard to get lawyers to understand, no, you shouldn't be formatting documents and correcting grammar. And I understand that it looks like crap and you don't want it to go out of the company looking the way it does, but we shouldn't be paying a lawyer to do this. That's a different issue. If another department like HR or marketing or, or whatever, they need to get their act in order. And that's a discussion that needs to happen at the executive level. And legal needs to be focusing on legal issues. So all of that happens through intake. Like, what is it that you want legal to look at? It can't be everything. What are the legal issues in this contract? And then making sure that the right legal levels within the law department are looking at that. And so if we can actually outsource at the lower levels, a lot of the more mundane, um, lower risk work, you can pull work from outside counsel in-house um, and that makes, that does a bunch of things. First of all, it gets the boring, I'm sorry to say that, but it kind of gets the boring work off the attorney's plates to begin with. They're pulling in more strategic work, which is great for the company because you have more strategic work being done in-house. You keep that institutional knowledge inside. It makes their jobs a lot more fun and interesting and strategic. And it makes the total package of law less expensive. So it does all of those things. So you've got to make sure that you've got the right people doing the right things. I was just going to say absolutely page you. No, I, I think that the people piece needs another lens, which is how interconnected are you with other business operations? Because sometimes legal tends to sort of live in its own silo. I need my tools. I need my contracting system. I need to operate this way to be efficient, which causes a lot of inefficiencies in the overall uh, overall process. So, you know, you do need process towards, but you need the right people to be processed towards, I think. And Teju, you set up something perfectly. And Jason and Lucy, you know where I'm going with this. Lawyer, non-lawyer, I have to go there, uh, right? Because Gartner even uses the term, right? By 2025, organizations <laughs> will replace 20% of generous lawyers with non-lawyer staff and technology. So I'm going to throw that just up in the air about lawyers, non-lawyers. What, what are we trying to say? I know we're trying to talk about some of the comments. I think uh, Colin and Chet made a comment about, uh, you know, what we're going to do to disperse the work appropriately via the right process. So whoever wants to take that, jump right in. So, so I'm going to do a screenshot of Lucy's face right now and, and title this, If Looks Could Kill. And, and, and I'm I've, just kidding. You mean my poker face isn't working? What? And I, I love this because it, I, I joke about it and, and the lawyer versus non-lawyer and using the term non-lawyer. And the reason I think it comes about and the reason that we lawyers sometimes use that is to designate between the things that are considered practice of law. Because if somebody does not have a law license and they do those activities, it's considered unauthorized practice of law. And that's sort of the third rail right now that I think, especially in the U.S., because of our regulatory scheme, hinders a lot of the, uh, the, 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 the process and innovation in legal, because there's a lot of this need of figuring out and unbundling those legal services, and a lot of times they haven't been unbundled. And so it's been just sort of a big chunk of work, and because there looks like there's some legal work in there, the lawyers wrap their arms around the whole thing. 
once you start unbundling those things and breaking them down into their elements, you realize there are some activities that are purely practice of law activities. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's really business and process and finance and sales and other things. And I think contract management is really sort of ground zero for this very thing. And that's why we're seeing a lot of change happening, or at least a lot of push in the contract management space. Because when you look at a contract and you realize the process starts outside of legal and moves outside of legal and then bounces into legal and then bounces out of legal, it's it's hard to really sit down and say, okay, the contract process is a legal process or a non-legal process because it's got elements of both. But at the end of the day, the lawyers look at the contracts and say, the contract is a legal document and there are, there are legal implications to the organization based on what's within those four corners. And so sometimes you have lawyers looking at that saying, I can't have the non-lawyers doing a bunch of stuff in this legal document. And so I, I jest because I, I use the lawyer, non-lawyer, because I know it riles Lucy up a lot. Um, but I think there's there's some there's some substance behind that designation. Okay, so first let me start by saying some of my best friends are non-lawyers. So, um, no, this is, I mean, look, uh, the, the practice of law, that's the that's the ivory tower we hide behind. It's our sword and it's our shield. And I will be the first to admit. And by the way, to be clear, I am still licensed in the US. My company set up as a law firm intentionally because I'll poke any bear out there that asks me what I do in my day job every day. And is it really the practice of law or is it consulting? By responding that I spent 13 years in-house, 99% of which I did was probably advising and consulting my internal clients, not on the law necessarily. So yeah, 1%, absolutely, maybe 5%, depends on the day and the nature of the deal. Commercial contracting is the perfect place, the perfect place to let go of this designation of, of the practice of law. In-house commercial contracting, there's a teeny tiny portion that is that needs to be done by an attorney because there are complicated legal principles that are affecting the words that have to be used on paper. The rest of it, it just doesn't require lawyers. That's why some of the best contract negotiators are not lawyers, or if they have some dusty old JD, they only got it because they felt they have to have something to show just in case anybody asks. So it's another one of these evolutionary mind shift things that simply has to happen and it'll just take time. So yeah, right now it's, it's, it's an annoying phrase because it's, it doesn't feel right. I, I hate the way it makes lawyers look every time they say it, right? So it just doesn't feel right. It's just not inclusive. Um, let's, let's throw D and I out there, right? It's simply not inclusive. It's not mutually respectful. It doesn't demonstrate value. I couldn't have gotten anything done in all, all the things that, that I was able to accomplish that are perceived to be successful without amazing operations managers, contracts managers, program managers. I, I literally couldn't have gotten any any of that, you know, the, the claims to fame and, and they're, they're not mine alone. So it's it's a, it's a, it's just silly and it, it, it feels old, it feels archaic. It, it points out to why we're having so much trouble making progress in anything we wanna call legal ops if we well, keep using words like that. Tej, you have a question for you based on what, if I may, on what Lucy said. CLM simplify tip number 38, Lucy. If you have it memorized, let me know. But basically, you, you talk about so much automation taking over lawyers' jobs. And it makes for great clickbait, right, to read the articles, but it's pure nonsense. So there's another statement that says AI won't replace lawyers, but lawyers who don't use AI will be replaced. So Tej, uh, if you want to have a comment on the previous topic, perfect. But what do you think of 
automation, taking over lawyers' jobs, and what kind of adaptation is really behind the statement there in terms of how things are changing? No, and it's um, it's interesting. I wanted I, I wanted to talk about what Lucy said, which is true. Um, you know, and, and to use her um, language, I do have a lot of non-engineer friends that I love and respect as well. You know, if you were to go down <laughs> that path, and the reason I say this is is when you put lawyers in a box, you're saying they can only do legal work. Some of the, the many of the lawyers I've met are brilliant strategists. They're technology savvy. They are process geeks. But when you put them in a, you are a lawyer and therefore non-lawyers can only do all of these other things is very limiting. With that said, coming to AI, right? I have a, a, a philosophy around efficiency and effectiveness. I don't know that I want people to be efficient. I think processes and technologies ought to be efficient to make people effective. And AI, in my mind, allows people to be more effective and, and to use Steph's words, to take the mundane out of the day-to-day -day so you can, you can actually focus on insights and data and, and what to do strategically with that information is really how you want to set up lawyers. So will we Will AI take away lawyers' jobs or any other jobs? I don't think so. Will it add more ancillary jobs? 100%. Um, now, where, of course, we can get into, which, which I think Jason would love to opine on, is the risk of, you know, rogue AI. And there is a risk of rogue AI uh, that, that, that we should absolutely talk about. So, so yeah. Go ahead, Jason. Sorry, and and that's that's what going back to that quote that you said that that AI is not going to replace lawyers, but lawyers who leverage AI are going to replace those who don't, and I think that really kind of sums up the idea of this sort of efficiency. And and we're we're not even though you see in the movies and maybe even there's a few use cases out there about AI doing things. Um, you really, I don't know any lawyer that's ever going to sit down and actually trust an AI algorithm to do their job for them or a company that's going to trust AI to do the legal work for them. They're still always going to want some sort of human touch, but that AI can reduce the amount of that human touch that may be needed or that, that again, mundane, routine, administrative work. And if they can do that, they can make the lawyer more effective and efficient, and therefore we circle it all the way back to value. Well, I'm, I'm gonna hop around a little bit. Thanks for that, Jason. Um, Stephanie, this one's coming to you based on something that Teju has said in the past. So when I had a neighbor growing up and she was well into her nineties and she always would look at me and say, nothing stays the same. So when talking to customers, Teju talks about having a continuous optimization mindset. Things aren't one and done projects. So can you comment on, on what Teju might've meant by that in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I always um, talk, when I talk to legal teams, when I'm doing consulting, I, a lot of times general counsels when I'm saying, okay, you know, you guys really do need to have someone, somebody in place who's running this for you. Um, and it can't be a lawyer 10% of the time, you know, trying to implement a CLM program or something. That just doesn't work. They won't move the needle when we do an assessment and when we give them their list, you know, the roadmap and they say, okay, we're going to try to do this internally without somebody doing this, you know, somebody who's going to own the whole thing. I say, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk to you in six months when you haven't moved the needle at all. And, and then, then we'll see what happens. You, 
it is not something. And then they say, okay, fine. Well, we'll hire somebody. Can it be just for a year? You know, it'll take a year to get all this stuff in place or two years. And then we can just, you know, redeploy them, do something else with them. And I'm, and how I try to explain it is it's like the Golden Gate Bridge. When you finish painting the one end, you got to start all the way over again at the beginning. Everything does change. And even, even good things change. That's your, so your neighbor was absolutely right, Gary. This too shall pass, whether it's good or bad. And so um, that is the only thing we can guarantee that change is going to occur. And so, you know, when you, when two years from now, we, we could have the best technology, cleaned up processes, we harmonized templates, we did everything we need to do, we have the right people doing the right work, et cetera. But how about two years from now? Is there a new technology we need to be looking at? Did the business change? We need to look at our processes again. It, do the people are the people within that you know puzzle changing and so we need to swap out pieces etc so yeah it's continuous you constantly when, once you finish a whole program you have to you know maybe you wait a little while but eventually you're going to have to look at it again and, and start from scratch and make sure that it's as efficient as possible and again you have the right people doing the right things you've got the technology in place etc so this does not end and, and for better or for worse <laughs> Indeed. And while we're constantly recalibrating internally, externally, there are a lot of factors as well. So, you know, Colin talks about themes of community, collaboration, content and connections that I talked about earlier. But I want to hone in on the community aspect. Uh, it seems like we had a perfect storm in a good way, maybe, maybe a good one. We had the proliferation of the legal ops space, uh, working from home, and a bunch of new legal technologies. So Lucy, can you talk about the importance of networking and community when all this change is happening externally for your internal best practices and inspiration. Absolutely. So, um, you, you know, because our community of people, right, those of us who live in this kind of legal, legal operation of the technology world, we're, we're used to engaging in different ways. Um, so I think what we're seeing now is, uh, you know, the attorneys especially who are thirsty and hungry for information are realizing that they have to take to LinkedIn for networking. I mean, that's obviously been kind of an explosive change, I think, for a lot of uh, legal professionals who, it was always kind of this, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, but I feel like they've, they've, there's been a bit more of an urgency around it. I know just from some of the new contacts that have reached out to me that they, you know, suddenly are kind of finding each other. So, and LinkedIn is obviously just one example, but I think it's still probably, it's still the main one for, for legal professionals. So, you know, without that network without the community, without being comfortable and confident enough to reach out and ask some questions about things you're not familiar with, it's very hard to make progress in this space. Especially in-house lawyers live in the, um, a bubble, even if it's a tiny bubble, tiny company or ginormous bubbles like the ones that Steph and I spent time in, we, we live in our bubbles and it's very hard to know what's going on outside and what kind of normal should be. So a lot of what we see as a first step into that networking and, and building a community is getting sanity checks, right? It's getting a little bit of kind of awareness of what's going on. And, and I, I'm sure Steph, you'll, you'll attest to this, right? We always say half of what we do is therapy, right? I would start every meet and greet with, it's okay. Nobody can find their contracts. It's not just you. <laughs> Literally just yesterday, same speech, same sentence where they were, you know, people feel a little sheepish going, I can't believe I'm a, like, that's an amazing company and I can't find my contract. Somebody even asked yesterday, well, what, what, what do you do when you can't find it? I'm like, you gotta ask the other side. And the beauty is when they can't find it, then all level playing field. Suddenly you're like, mm -hmm. we're both terrible at this. So that community helps a lot to make 
progress, right? You, not just because you're learning tactics and like, who do you use? How do you use? Give me some tips. And, and that's obviously how clock was born. I mean, that's, that's what right. Steph saw a million years ago was needed. Um, but it really helps open the door and let people in safely to know that they're not alone. Um, it, you know, it's a little bit more inviting suddenly, whereas before it was still like legal ops is that thing. I'm a lawyer. I, I don't know what that is. I feel like there's a melding that's happening, which is critical, right? Yeah. That that's it has to happen. I, I like what you said there's, there. Uh, 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 go, go ahead. I, I want to get Colin's things. take on this as well, but go ahead, Tisha. No, let me no, get there's it. one other thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of community, and I wanted to share a, a client example, which I thought was fascinating. Right, a lot of legal um, ops, legal department folks reach into their own communities, whether it's clock or legal operations. But I had a client who who said, "I'm going to walk." a mile in my in my client's shoes. They attended Salesforce as a conference. So they attended a procurement conference. And I think that helps because you're not getting advice and, and guidance from people who are exactly like you, but are actually dealing with a whole nother set of processes and challenges that help you think about the way you do your work slightly differently. So I thought that was an interesting way to build community within the organization and be part of a larger what you would call business operations team as opposed to legal operations which can be which is necessary but you know to expand your um, horizons a little bit but and calling over to you and perfect an empathetic community approach colin please so i think i have four questions to answer like going back to like going back to the number one uh anybody who used that term non-attorney is a fucking jackass in my opinion like it's just the meaning term um you know moving on from that really quickly i would say like with the, with the ai aspect it's absolutely gonna take attorneys jobs and it should right it's like it's a more efficient attorney's gonna get need to get redialed and re-educated now moving on to the ai thing in the next decade i think contracts is going to be broken like the likes of Malbec coming out right now, breaking the back of contracts, like 90% of the risk in the money and obligations being on the back end. Malbec's already solving for that, right? It's like, this is powerful. AI is actually working, right? Number one, and then community, what is community, right? You're looking at clock, you're looking at ACC. These are relics, like they've been in the industry forever. They've added value up to this point, but community is a fluid thing. Nobody owns community, right? So I would say, if you're going to start the community, if you're going to be in a community, it's about adding value to other people. It's not about yourself. It isn't about propping yourself up. It's about building a message and then lending value to people. Um, I, I, I'd say Tiju, 100% agree with you on that as well. Um, with that, over and out. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. Appreciate it. So, yeah, and again, uh, I want to talk about something, Colin, that you hosted as well that's a very important topic. I actually listened to a, uh, one of the podcasts or actually YouTube videos around diversity matters empowering change. And something that I, I took away from that, uh, especially, is that it's not just about the numbers, right? It's not just about recruiting. That's the problem. That's just stats. It's more about retention and advancement. And again, uh, I found out that, you know, you can look at it as an analogy, again, with sports where, okay, you get someone on the team. Okay, they, they get to play. But what about the strategic positions right the, the, can, the can, I, can I tell you my experience with that it's like yeah, for every yeah. organization I worked in um, leaders they would pay lip service to this they would check a box in diversity and empowerment mm -hmm. 
you know, and it would just do it. And then every time you confront them with the data, it was just another exercise that was done year after year. The ABA survey in place. This has been running 15 years. What, is, what has been achieved? There's absolutely not been achieved with this, right? It's just like, hey, we'll make decisions internally, you know, and, and just tick another box. But what, what is it doing to the landscape? With Operation Empower and Change, we went out to the top 200 law firms in the United States and we said, give us your data. Let's be accountable, be transferable, and we're going to make this data available to everybody in legal ops. I don't care if you're with ACC, Clark, or anybody else. You can come show up, get this information. Top 200 firms said, go pound sand, right? So it's like, we'll make this client driven. So we get some of the biggest organizations on planet Earth, and then we go back and say, we want this data. We're making firm-wide available to everybody in legal operations. So now we, we, we can splice up this data and actually make them accountable and ask them the right questions. Um, partner with a company called Justice Bid, a minority-owned firm, um, and then we went out there and we're getting this data right now and pushing it out to the community. It has not been done before. We're willing to do it. If we, if we commit to an initiative with legal operators, it's going to have teeth on it and it's going to effectuate change. That's what we're going to do. And we're standing behind like this initiative in DEI and actually solving something. And, you know, you can probably hear my passion about this because I want to actually accomplish something with this, right? Because there's enough lip service. You know, there's a lot of people profiting off this. And it's like this information should be readily available to every in house team. And plus, we can turn the fingers on them eventually. And do the exact same thing, you know. If they're if they're checking a box, asking the questions, like uh, without information, like imagine the most powerful minds in this country working in these law firms. If they put their mind to it for five minutes to solve this puzzle, they'd solve the puzzle, right? But they're not putting their minds to it. They're just like turn the blind eye. It's like yeah, take another box. And if that's your mindset in life, you know, have at it, like you know. But it's like. If I, can, if I can effectuate it a tiny little bit by leaning in and doing something different, I will. But Colin, you said a really important point, right? I mean, it's the, the driver's money, the driver's revenue. Um, and so without spending another whole hour on law firm business models being fundamentally broken, that is the core issue. So sharing information, anything for the greater good that will potentially lower the amount of time that law firms have get to spend, uh, which means get to charge, is a core root problem. That is a core, the billable hours, the root cause of the of the bad behaviors that we're seeing in the law firm engagement. I will add, though, to be a little controversial as well, what we're seeing right now in legal tech, the chase for money, the VC frenzy that's happening in this beloved space of CLM, back to, I think, where you were saying also about what people do know and don't know and what they spend their time on there's an expert popping up every minute right never mind a new technology popping up every minute competing with those who are trying to do good and right who have leaders who actually care about the work the space the content delivering real value and i'm i mean yeah it is a bit of a soapbox and I'm not going to about shed a tear over over CLM or anything, but it's annoying as hell for people who know who know the space, who see it black and white, clear as day, know how to make progress, and are watching a bunch of noise, a bunch of noise. So I say let's first start with what we can control in the operations community, and let's try to filter out the noise. Right there, I mean it's um, it's overwhelming. All of the commercial in-house legal teams who are hungry for change and interested in change are completely overwhelmed by the 
choices. They're completely oversold on a regular basis. They get irritated. They blame the technology. It's a vicious cycle. And we're, we're kind of at, I want to say, I'm afraid we're at the beginning of the cycle. Because what started 10 years ago with kind of some of the big CLM systems, which we all know, um, that there was a smaller subset of companies, right? Got, that were buying that. I got the answer for them. Just get Malbec. It's the right, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, look, the way they're going to get Malbec, and I, Malbec's got to do right. No, but and it, I think it, they let's are. be honest. And if, but it's got to win on substance. You can't win on shiny demos anymore. You just can't. That worked for a while. Clients are getting more sophisticated. They're asking smarter questions. And if they're not, well, then shit, they should call some of us to help them because you got to ask smart questions. Well, well, yeah, I, 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 I got to tell you, I, I, I promise, I promise, Colin, I promise subtle entertainment. I over delivered. This no, is no, full no. blown entertainment. Let's be honest. Some people are signing up for senior right now as we speak, and they don't realize they need a backpack full of cash before they go in there, right? That to actually, you know, hire two software engineers to help them like put six buttons in that's gonna cost $100,000, right? They don't realize that, they're just got like, they're, they're being sold something and then when they get in there, I've implemented systems three time enterprise and it was the same deal every single time. You, you gotta actually, you, you gotta make friends with software engineers and that's a hard thing to do. Like, Which know, is I, terrible. You, you, the that tech they need, I, I don't think they need engineers. The systems are great. Systems like Malbec are easy to implement. They don't need engineers. What they need is a backpack full of process content. They need the right people. They need clean templates. They need to understand that there's a difference between a contract template, the way lawyers think of it, and a workflow template, the way companies like Malbec think about it, right? And, and, and need to think about it. There's a complete disconnect, right? Between the sellers and the buyers and smart companies, right? Yeah, Malbec's really trying. They do the substantive implementation and they help and that's great. Um, not all of them are doing that. And so that's why I say, yeah, Malbec will win on successful implementations because we wanna see a year down the road, who's still with them? Who's actually using them? I wanna see consumption numbers. I don't wanna see revenues as a sign of success. I wanna know a year later. I would say Malbec will win on data. From what I've seen Malbec, Right on the Salesforce implementation, they'll win, but they'll also win on the data, data, data every single time because we have right now, we're looking across the landscape of data, there's a big blind spot yeah. in that data. There's nobody knows how to find 90% of their money and obligations on the back end. Malibu can. So, uh, uh, one thing. And one thing I just want to interject, sorry, Gary, I'm going to um, be the argumentative cartoon that you made me earlier. <laughs> but no, I just, we want to really hammer to that this stuff is what needs to be done before you start implementing a tool or selecting a tool. So often we get called into clients, they've already selected the tool, they've already signed the contract, and now they want help from us. And we're like, I wish you called us three, four, five months ago, because there's so much work that you need to do to get ready and in, in order to, you, you didn't do any of the readiness work. And so now you're going to be paying for a tool and sitting on it for three or four months before you can even begin to do the implementation. And so the, it's to tie all of this together, that people process stuff really needs to happen before you can implement the tool. And, um, and you can't, they're inextricable parts of one another. Like you, you can't, you know, do do one thing without the other. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I get that. In my and I want to add one more thing. I agree with Colin about, um, you know, engineering um, or engineers. Not everything is simple or has to be. 
but it doesn't have to be complicated. I think there's a difference between complexity and being complicated. And I think if you design systems that can handle complexity, you're not going to be able to get around designing a no-code system that works across the enterprise. I mean, that's that's just setting the wrong expectations to say, you know, I really want to build a new house, but all I need is a nail and a hammer. I, I just don't think mm -hmm. it's realistic. And, and people shouldn't be setting those expectations for enterprise rollouts. A great preparedness. Uh, and I, I didn't get to many of the things that you all have said in, in uh, previous blogs, but preparedness is absolutely one of those. And, and I didn't, I was going to bail on the slide to be candid, but you know what, it, it's, I, I can't, I, I just, we can go very, very quickly, but I'd like everybody to go and tell me for the super panel, what superpower you would do and why, just, just to cleanse the palate for the last 10 or so minutes. Colin? What's that? You, I'm just what, 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 superpower for the, for the uh, power panel, which, which one of these would you like to do and why, if you oh. had a superpower? Not, not being invisible, I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, don't know. Let, I would like to read mine. Minds. Okay, you read would? Mine. No, no, that is dangerous. Power. I do not want to know what in in some people's minds. And if I had that ability, I agree. It's I, and I already talked to animals. Yeah. I already talked to animals. <laughs> I didn't know that was actually a superpower. <laughs> now, now the question is, can I? understand or can they talk back to me i think would be the superpower but uh talking to the animals i i do it all the time well jason from your post you said eating tacos and fluency and sarcasm was your superpower that's what you that's what that's, what you that's, said. that's absolutely right and i challenge anybody to challenge that <laughs> i mean it has to be flying though right isn't that the top superpower everybody, i think everybody wants to fly yeah we live i live in the bay area traffic here is a nightmare if i could fly as long as i could bring my stuff with me and if i could fly oh that would be amazing i guess if it just meant avoiding the airlines and tsa then absolutely right and and yeah no reading people's minds i don't want to know what's in anybody else's mind although superhuman strength sounds kind of cool when you're five feet tall and walk into a meeting full of <laughs> dudes that are six feet plus you're like listen you but then right. to be able to like lift the table and go after this <laughs> Lucy, but, but Lucy, but Lucy, you can only say that if you have an Irish accent. Yeah, Otherwise, it's rude. Right. Precisely. No, so, be, being a non-lawyer, I'd love to have superhuman oh, strength. <laughs> You got the flag. <laughs> yeah. So, so I want to talk about the general counsel for, for a moment as it relates to the entire legal operations department. So Bloom, Bloomberg Law talked about how GCs can evolve from lawyer in the room, quote, to strategic business partner. And Stephanie, you talked to new GCs, you know, GCs at startup companies who don't yet have the big teams that, you know, they're looking to grow. They know what legal ops is, they've been reading about it, uh, but let's talk about uh, the role of the general counsel and how that's changing. If you, if you just Google role of the general counsel, it, it is, they're talking about changing the title itself. So, so I hope you can comment uh, first, I'm just gonna throw it out there for the last 10 minutes on, what, what you're hearing about um, this shift in strategic involvement from the general counsel and the entire legal operations team. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I'm seeing that I think is so exciting is that the legal departments and the GCs who are running these legal departments from smaller companies are way more strategic and innovative um, than the bigger companies. And maybe that's controversial. And if I had an Irish accent, it would sound less controversial, <laughs> but 
Um, but what I see is, you know, we work with companies of all sizes. Lucy and I came from giant companies, um, but it's the companies from these like 20 and under legal departments where the GC is, first of all, they're usually the first lawyer hired. They're partnering very, very closely with, um, with all the other business executives. So maybe it's a function of, maybe they're just, you know, they, they, they are younger and hipper and just are, you know, aware of the fact that they need to be more strategic business partners, um, versus coming from a law firm and running the legal department, like just another law firm, which I've been in those departments and I've worked with those departments. So these smaller departments are just willing to try anything. They're willing to embrace technology. They're willing to do work differently. They don't have bodies and they need to find ways to scale. And so they do that in many ways. They do that by trying different things, whether it's automation or outsourcing or, um, or, or you know, really leveraging on legal ops. They, it, it's, they're just way more flexible than the GCs from the bigger companies from my experience. And so I think, um, I, I just think that we're seeing a trend moving in that direction because there, there are a lot of big companies obviously, but I think there are a lot more of these smaller companies. And I think they're the ones it's going to be a little bit more grassroots. Um, and, and I think you're going to see those GCs really changing the industry and, and pushing things forward. And I think the GCs from the bigger companies are going to feel pressure to change. I think it's a catch. It's kind of a catch 22 though, too, because as a as a GC of a startup or a small operation, you're not going to have the budget and the funds like the GCs of the big companies, the big legal departments. So in part, you have to do more with less, but then you have to figure out how to do those things without these big budgets. And so you have to get a little bit more strategic. And I see the GCs that have come up through small companies into larger companies be a lot more innovative than the ones that have come from, uh, you know, the in-house role and moved up at the big companies or uh, from the law firms and law firms. That's, that's a whole separate story. There's, there's no innovation in the people that come over from that side, but I, I think it's, it's that catch 22. And, and the, the other part of it is the, the market, the vendors and, and everybody that have these tools don't necessarily target those small companies knowing they don't have the big budgets. They, they're not the big payday, but I go back and I apologize for anybody that I offend, but you see the Yankees last night, their result, they're in the off season now, right? And they spend more money than everybody. And it's like this in terms of just spending the money doesn't get you what you need. It's the outcomes and, and the outcomes are what drive it. And so sometimes as a GC of a small organization that doesn't have a lot of funds, you're bootstrapping a lot of stuff, but you're really driving a lot faster to those outcomes just out of necessity. No, and to your point, um, Jason, I think there's another lens which you want to apply. And Steph, you're correct. You know, innovation and nimbleness is not necessarily a function of small versus large organizations, but it's the experiences that you have. You know, so if you look at a lot of um, lawyers who become GCs and then run run businesses. Um, I think the reason why they're better at it is because they've had international experience. They've been in M&A situations. They've actually cycled through a variety of organizations laterally to gain that experience to be better. And you're right. You know, a lot of times when you are in a large law department, you get siloed and and that's what you get treated, you know, uh, day in and day out. But if you don't and you have the ability to move around, 
you get the same skills that a, a, that a smaller law department GC gets by default. And Lucy, do you have any comments on? Oh, always, always, always. Why, why would you possibly ask that kind of silly question? I'm ready. Um, yeah, no, I think. Uh, Lucy's throwing a flag was, just for you asking I, that. I, I got dead air and I, I couldn't. I'm going to add, no, no, I, I was trying to give room uh, room to breathe um, for others. But uh, the thing I, I'll add into this mix as well, which is kind of, um, you know, an obvious ugly fact, the, the bigger the organization, the bigger the political nightmare. It is super hard to navigate in those big monstrous companies. They're amazing companies. They are amazing in so many ways, but to try to make change is extra hard. So when you're in a small organization, even if you've got the GC with the mutated operational gene that we love and they get data and they get processed, simply by virtue of being in a situation where if you don't ask IT in the right tone, on the right day, in the right way, you're screwed is not okay and they can't make progress. And it's not just, you know, IT, which is of course a necessity, right? To get things done right with integrations, the complexity, the data security, the privacy, everybody's gonna chime in. When you're when you're in a smaller company, you, you really just don't have that as much. So that's just a fact of the more humans you have, the more complexity. Cause hey, I'm gonna pull a Jason and bring it back to what I wanted to say. It's about the people. It is going to be about the people at the end of the day. The right person in IT will make it a dream to integrate a CLM system like Malbec with Coupa or Salesforce or you name it. Everybody asks the questions, but then actually getting it done is gonna just simply go down to the human beings that are in those dependent departments. When you're in a small company, you just have less dependencies. You can get more stuff done. You can drive it faster. Frankly, you're filling in gaps that nobody else wants ownership of. In a big company, somebody's there wanting to do a land grab, making it their own. Smaller, they can't breathe. They're buried. They can't breathe driving, you know, the work. So that's just the fact of, of size. Size matters, you know, and I think that has a big impact too. So thank you, Lucy. I do want to ask one more question of the panel while everyone's typing away. And that is a huge topic. And, and you all, I know, are very <laughs> passionate about, and we're not going to have enough time to do it justice, but that is data in terms of you know, what role data is actually playing in today's um, e evolution of legal operations. So Colin, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it over to you. What I, can I, you tell us about data? So no, I, I would say like, this is how we're gonna break the back of contracts is, is, is with data, right? Like, you know, I said it earlier on, I'll just repeat it again, but 90% of your spend is post-signature, right? And your obligations are sitting there in contracts. How do you retrieve that information when the regulator comes knocking, right? It's like, these are the issues that are facing nearly every team right now as we're moving into a privacy world, you know? And it's like, you know, and it's true AI, it's true like, you know, sometimes the human element as well, but being able to just kind of capture those data points, those KPIs, being able to move quick efficiencies. This is what's like, every company needs this, right? Not every company's using that. And I think with data, you know, I, I, I take the view eventually, right? I, I take the view eventually that somebody in legal apps is going to be running a big division of legal close to a GC level. And it's because they're going to be able to interpret this data and they're coming from a different mindset. It's not going to be your traditional person going through the Socratic medic in law school, like remembering cases and, you know, repeating them back to the professor. It's somebody that's actually ingrained in, you know, programming, you know, building out 
you know, different efficiencies, understands the technology, and that's going to be data scientist, the hybrid I person. Think, well, I, I, got think, you, I got a two-minute warning. I got a two-minute warning. So, Emmett, Lucy, you will start off with the last 20 seconds of, of a final thought, whatever that might be. I'll just go in order. Yeah, hashtag CLM readiness. Readiness. You got to get ready before you to get into the system. You can pick a system. You can love a system. You got to get your stuff first. Ask why you do the contracts you do. Do a good policy. Be crisp, be clear. Hand off to the business. Templates, playbooks. Get that stuff ready. Then um, get technology. You'll be happier. You'll be more successful and you'll love the tech more. Thank you very much, Lucy, for that. Perfect. And uh, Jason, your 20 seconds. Yeah, and I will say this, here's my Malbec pitch. I, you know, I saved this for the end, right? But um, I still expect the brownies and the wine. Um, the idea from contract management that technology can enable the process and enable the people is key when you have a system that can allow legal to be involved earlier in the process without legal being involved earlier in the process. And by that, I mean, being able to build templates, pre-build pre templates, pre-build rules around workflows and, and, and playbook capabilities, and then push those out to the business pre-blessed with various avenues and forking, not just here's a template that's on the internet, use it or lose it. And then being able to take that legal mindset and move it earlier in that transaction and then freeing up the lawyer to do their day job. And I think that's the key of, of where, you know, a system like Malbec can really come in and help kind of underscore all of this. Thank you, Jason. We have, we're at time, but you know what? We're gonna go Stephanie, uh, Teju and Colin. If your last, last closing thoughts, please. Do you wanna go first, Teju? Um, sure. <clears throat> so what I, I'd like to say is, you know, begin with the end in mind. And I'm, I'm going to say data, 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 but we need to get from data to insights. And so having you know, systems like Malbec, which you, know, you focus on dashboards, you focus on collecting the right data and present it the right way is going to be critical for people to move from just looking at voluminous amounts of data and, and converting it in, in, into insights. That's, that's my thought for the day. Thank you, Teju. And Steph Stephanie? Yeah, everything everybody's saying, but just to um, stick to a point that I made earlier. I hope that GCs from big companies take lessons from the GCs from the smaller companies who are really being creative and doing innovative things. I think they can learn a lot from looking at these other organizations. Thank you, Stephanie and Colin. Perfect. Um, I'd say not only is having data good enough, but being able to interpret that data to you know get the best outcomes. Um, you know, with that, I just want to say all the panel thank you so much this has been amazing very spirited indeed thank you colin and thank you everybody for an incredible panel uh for the audience uh you know where to reach these these wonderful human beings that know so much about their passion which is contracting and legal operations for so many years so thank you panel i sincerely appreciate it it's been awesome thanks gary thank you thank and you lucy all. stephanie Teju, thanks colin. everyone thank you everybody thanks everybody Bye now.